to those listening at home, I am recording from uh, my own home this week. Uh, if you're listening because you are not able to join us for worship, please know that we're thinking of you and praying for you. Well, please turn in your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 17, the very end of verse 9 through to verse 17. And remember, Paul is confronting the problem of division in the church of Corinth. Last time we saw Paul rely on two metaphors, the first familial. The Corinthians are infants in Christ who ought to have matured, but remain immature. So there's a problem of a failure to grow up. Their divisions and strife had stunted their spiritual growth. And then in verses 5 through 9, the metaphor changes to a field. The church is like a field. Paul and Apollos and other ministers are like farmhands working in the field, planting the seed of the word, watering the seed of the word. But it is God who gives the growth. And so if the Corinthians are going to grow up and mature, they need to take their eyes off of men and look to the Lord alone for growth. And now in our text, Paul continues his treatment plan for the Corinthians' spiritual immaturity, and he uses a third metaphor. Notice the transition in verse 9. You are God's field, God's building. And today we're going to think about what it means that we are being built together as God's temple. Before we read the passage together, let's pray. Father, would you please now, by the ministry of your word and spirit, equip the saints so that we are readied for service, so that the unity of our faith is strengthened, and so that we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at the end of verse 9. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Well, after two months apart, it's fitting that as many of us resume worship together again, that we study this passage. Here Paul is telling the Corinthians, and God is telling us, that we are God's temple. 
means you, Trinity PCA, are God's temple. God's spirit dwells among us as we gather together. And we are being built together as living stones, as a dwelling place for God. And so when we assemble, we are the holy temple of God in which God is truly present, in which God himself is with us. That is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians in verse 16 when he asks, Do you not know that you are God's temple? And the you there and throughout this passage, it's it's plural. He's not speaking to individual Corinthians here saying that, The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, though that is, of course, gloriously true. But Paul has something else in view in this passage when he talks about the Corinthian Christians corporately as an assembly. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Well, apparently it was something that the Corinthians didn't know very well because if they understood it, They would not have been acting the way they were acting, with jealousy and strife and pride. If they knew it well, they wouldn't have brought such unholy division onto such hallowed grounds. The Corinthians were bringing all kinds of unholy things into the church. They were profaning the very temple of God, and as we'll see, endangering their very own lives. And so part of Paul's treatment plan is to help the Corinthians to understand the glorious identity of the church, and in light of that, the terrible nature of their sin. Paul is saying, you need to realize what you are together. You are the holy temple of God. God himself, by his spirit, dwells among you and in you and You're bringing your unholy, unclean divisions into this place. That's equivalent to destroying God's temple. And that's why Paul says in verse 17, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Paul doesn't want to see that happen. He doesn't want the church in Corinth to be destroyed. So he continues with his treatment plan, a plan grounded in the reality that gathered together the church is the true temple of God. And I wonder, I wonder how many problems and divisions and squabbles and sins within God's church would be put away if we only realized this reality, that we are God's temple I wonder how much more serious and deliberate and intentional we would be in worship and serving and in striving to be holy if we understood who we truly are. And I wonder how much more joyful and weighty our worship might be if we understood that as we gather together, God himself meets with us and speaks to us and invites us to fellowship with him. Well, in this passage, Paul likens the church to a building under construction. And as with any construction project, careful attention must be given to the foundation. And then each layer of the structure built on that foundation must be built carefully with skill using the right materials. And on the construction site, different 
workers play different roles. Each has a part to play. Paul primarily has in view in this passage ministers. But by virtue of our membership within Christ's church, we all have a part to play in the construction of this building, God's temple. So as we look at this text, there are two things that we need to know and four things we need to do. If you want to try to take notes, that's going to give us a general outline. Two things we need to know and four things we need to do. So what's the first thing we need to know? Well, the first thing we need to know is that the church is God's. Verse 9, you are God's field, God's building. And in verse 16, you are God's temple. This is a simple, straightforward, but often overlooked truth. The church in Corinth was not Paul's church. It wasn't Apollos' church. It wasn't Peter's church. And Trinity PCA is not my church or your church. It is God's church. This is his construction site. The materials being used are his. The workers are his. And an application of this simple but often overlooked truth is that we should never build according to our own plans. We must build according to God's plan. And we don't use whatever materials we want for the construction. We use the materials he supplies. And that means we must follow the construction plans given to us in God's word. We must not ever act as though God's church were our own building project. You know, Nadab and Abihu are abiding examples of the danger of forgetting that the church is God's. They were workers serving in the house of God who went rogue. They were serving in the tabernacle, the precursor to the temple. And for whatever reason, one day they decided to have it their, their way and be innovative in worship. We don't know exactly why they did what they did, but they introduced something strange that God had not prescribed in the tabernacle. And you, you remember what happened. Leviticus chapter 10 tells us they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, their tragic example is a warning to all others serving in God's building, God's temple. We must never forget that the church is God's. It's God's building, his temple, and we must therefore serve according to his word. So that's the first thing we need to know. The church is God's. The second thing we need to know is that the church is God's temple. Now, the temple is where God dwells, where God is worshipped, where God's people hear God's word and engage with God. It's where God meets with his people and fellowships with them. So what Paul is saying about the church here is truly amazing. Uh, the Bible ends with a vision of God dwelling in the midst of his people. But Paul is saying that when the church gathers, it already in some real sense participates in that great reality. 
God dwelling among us as we worship him, God speaking his word to us and engaging with us. Just think about the theme of the temple in scripture. Uh, The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about the establishment of God's temple. Uh, The Garden of Eden is itself depicted in temple terms. And in that garden, God met with his people and communed with them until Adam failed to guard and keep the temple garden and allowed unholy things in and profaned it with sin. And then, of course, they were expelled, driven out of God's presence, no longer given access, no longer allowed to enter into the holy place. Later, God gave instruction to his redeemed people for the construction of the temple. And Solomon's temple looked back to the garden temple with its garden-themed decorations, but it also anticipated the final temple described in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 21, we read about the establishment of a new city. And the city is a giant cube, uh, over 1,300 miles long and wide and high. It's clearly a deliberate connection um, with the temple, the Holy of Holies. Just like the temple as well, the city is adorned with gold and precious stones. And then listen to how John describes it. He says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. You see, New Jerusalem needs no temple because the reality of temple is fully realized. God dwelling directly with his people. And so the New Jerusalem, a golden cube of a city, matches the other perfect cube in scripture, the Holy of Holies. And so the garden-themed temple both recalled Eden and looked forward to the New Jerusalem, the great temple that will one day come. And so how do we, the church, Trinity PCA, identified as God's temple, how do we right now fit into this grand story. Where where do we worship when we gather together? That might seem like an odd question, but think about it. Where do we worship when we gather together? You might say, well, that's easy. We worship at 268 Hostetler Road, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And of course, it's true that physically we are gathered there. But Hebrews teaches us that when we come together As a church, our worship in another very real sense is located in heaven. We come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews goes on to say we come before God, the judge of all. We join with the spirits of those who have been made perfect and we come to Jesus, our mediator who shed his very own blood 
for our salvation. And so when we gather together at 268 Hostetler Road, that assembly of believers participates in the reality of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem where God dwells with his people. A part of God's grand plan to have a people for himself and to dwell in their midst. And we experience that reality when we come together for worship. Now, doesn't that transform your understanding of what's really going on when the church gathers? Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you need to understand the reality of who you are together and what's happening when you are together. And when you do, you'll, you'll see how your unholy thinking and unholy behavior is so utterly out of place. Everything you squabbled about and fought over will be relativized by the awesome, weighty, holy presence of God in your midst. You see, dear friends, the life of the church ought to reflect reality. Part of the reason division and sin is so common in the church is because we fail to understand what the church is. God's temple. And with the eyes of faith, we must live in light of that reality. We must see that as we gather together for worship, as we assemble, God draws us into his presence and engages with us as his people. And if we reckoned with that reality, I think it would have a profound impact on our worship, our service, and yes, even some of our differences. And so the church is God's temple. But Paul talks about it metaphorically um, as, a, as a building under construction. Take a look at verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. And so while the church is in reality God's temple, Paul is speaking here metaphorically about the church as a building project. And notice what he says about himself. He calls himself a skilled master builder. Now that might sound prideful at first, like he's boasting in his skill as a workman. But all he means is that he is qualified and careful in his work. See, the language of skilled master builder alludes to the skilled laborers who were employed to build the Jerusalem temple in Solomon's day. And like them, Paul strived to build carefully and well. And like Paul, in whatever part we play, we are to build well. Anything less than great care and our utmost attention and devotion to God's word in our labor will not do. But what a challenge this is then to the church today when service in the household of God is often treated so lightly. And since Paul's primary focus is on ministers, let me begin there and say, Woe to me if I ever grow slack in my work. Woe to me the day I exchange the truth of God for the opinions of man for, for 
building materials. And woe to all of us. The day we approach the Lord and the work of the church with lackluster hearts in a nonchalant way. See, this is the most important, significant building project in the world. And so it requires great care and skill. And so according to the grace of God given to each of us, we need to labor with skill and care. We, we need pastors to serve faithfully as skilled master builders, showing the same kind of skill and care that the builders of Solomon's temple displayed in their work. We need elders who exhibit wisdom and pastoral experience in their care of God's people. We need deacons who serve with their whole heart. And we need church members who are just as careful in playing their part, their unique part, in building up Christ's church. Each one of us should faithfully use our God-given gifts to build up the church and notice Notice there's no grounds for boasting in the skill because it's all according to the grace that we each have received. And so we need to know that the church is God's. We need to know that the church is God's temple. Now Paul talks about what we need to do. Maybe at this point you're, you're thinking, okay, I want to be a skilled master builder. I want to play my part. How do I do that? How do I faithfully play my part in this building project? Well, Paul says that the first thing you need to do is build on the right foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Paul laid the foundation in Corinth through his preaching and teaching. He preached Jesus Christ crucified and raised, and a community of saints was formed by the Spirit as men and women and boys and girls received the gospel in faith. Then the Corinthians were to be built up as a dwelling place for God upon that foundation, Jesus Christ. And it's the same for us. We must have the right foundation or the building project will be a dismal failure. But there are many possible foundations we could try to build on. We could try to build the church on the personality of the pastor we just say right now, that's a bad idea. But we could also try to build a church on programs. We could try to build a church on social causes. And on and on. We could, we could make a list of potential foundations. But dear friends, the only solid, lasting foundation for the upbuilding of the church, Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ himself. Nothing else is up to code. And so what does it mean to have Christ as our foundation? It means that central to our teaching, preaching, worship, interaction, thoughts, service, words, and actions is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything we think, say, and do as a church must be based on Jesus Christ. The reality of Jesus Christ crucified, raised, ascended, and returning is the foundation of our church, our worship, our fellowship, our service, and our outreach. If we ever forget that and we 
Attempt to build on another foundation. Well, we're building on sinking sand. And so the first thing we need to do is build on the right foundation. The second thing we need to do is build with the right materials. Look at verses 12 and 13. Paul says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. The day mentioned here is the final day of judgment. On that day, each one's work will be exposed by fire. If we build with wood, hay, or straw unapproved materials, God's judgment will test the materials that were used and find them to be wanting. But if we build with approved materials, the work will stand with eternal significance. The quality and significance of our work will be manifested on the last day of judgment, and so we must build with the right materials. Now, the problem in Corinth was that Paul had come in and laid the foundation of Jesus Christ, but others were now trying to build on top of that with the materials of worldly wisdom. Uh, what the Corinthians were relying on was comparable to building with hay or straw. And like a good building inspector, Paul recognizes the insufficiency of the materials they were using and he tells them that their building materials will not pass the test of God's judgment. And so he's calling them to rely on the right materials for the upbuilding of the church. And the right materials are, of course, God's wisdom found in God's word, which is comparable to the gold, silver, and precious stones mentioned here. God's word is a reliable building material because it is permanent and it doesn't wear out. It stands forever. And so if we hope to build an abiding church, we must use the right construction materials. God's word must be the building material we use. So build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Build with God's wisdom and word. And third, build carefully or build faithfully for the Lord graciously rewards. Take a look here at verses 14 and 15. It's one of those uncomfortable passages that we tend to overlook. But this is a teaching that we need to clearly understand. It says, If the work that anyone built on the foundation survives, he will have a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved <clears throat> but only as through fire. Now let's try to be as clear and simple about this as we can. The Bible teaches and promises eternal rewards for work in this life. And the works of ministers and the works of all Christians will be judged by God, not for salvation purposes, but for the purpose of rewarding those who have served the Lord faithfully. This is the doctrine of differing rewards according to works in the Christian life. Not salvation according to works, not salvation by works, but rewards according to works. Every Christian gets to heaven the same way. 
by faith in Jesus Christ apart from works. But, but not every Christian will have the same reward in heaven. That is the clear teaching of this passage and the clear teaching of all of Scripture. So let us labor for Christ's glory, seeking to build with God's word, which alone will last, upon the foundation of Jesus Christ himself. And let's know that even though we are unworthy servants, our Father graciously rewards the service of his people. And then finally, as we build, let's all strive for holiness. Look at verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And here's the logic. The temple is the dwelling place of an all-holy God. You are God's temple. Therefore, you must be holy. Dear church, you are the holy temple of God. So be holy. That's what Paul is saying here. So let's be clear. Holiness, it's not self-righteousness. It's not looking down upon others. A holy church is first of all a humble church because we realize it is only by the grace of God that we are what we are. But a church of people called to be saints and dwelled by the Holy Spirit must pursue holiness. Because we are by God's call set apart for him. He has already declared us to be holy, positionally holy. And therefore, we must make it the pursuit of our lives to be holy. And we are God's temple as his people. Therefore, we must promote holiness. You see, our identity, individually and corporately, determines our calling. Because you, Trinity PCA, are God's temple. God's spirit dwells in you. You must strive to be holy. And there's a warning here, isn't there? God will not tolerate the desecration of his temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. So let's allow this reality to sink in today. We are God's temple. This isn't a mere metaphor. We are the temple of God. As we, together, as we gather together for worship, we are the temple of God. God draws us into his presence and truly meets with us. So let me end with an exhortation and an encouragement. The exhortation is to live in light of this reality. The church is God's building, God's temple, God's dwelling place. Now, doesn't that reality just obliterate some of our silly squabbles and differences? Are we really going to divide over different opinions about how to respond to this virus when we recognize that as living stones we are being built together as a holy temple for the Lord? 
And when we know this is, this is God's building, the church, aren't we also challenged to build well with great care on the right foundation, using the right materials with holiness as our goal? But then an encouragement. We are God's temple, and therefore God himself dwells with us. By grace, we are already participating in God's grand plan to dwell in the midst of his people, to bless us, and to be our God. So be encouraged, even as we look forward to this full reality in the life to come. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us to be saints for setting us apart for yourself and informing us together as your people to be a temple, your dwelling place when we assemble. And we pray that as your people, we would be utterly committed to pursuing and promoting holiness in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us, O oh Lord, to be skilled, careful workers, building upon the right foundation using the, the right materials uh, so that your church is, is built up. Help us to always remember that the church is yours and that we are your temple. We thank you that you are pleased to meet with us through your Son, Jesus, and by the Holy Spirit. Help us come more and more to terms with this reality and what it means for us as a church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.